Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast for working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and today is the second and unfortunately last part of my chat with Meredith Lane. We chat about her Emmy wins, differences in casting for different productions, the important parts of casting and directing that people don't think of, and how the voice of Tigger Paul Winchell himself wanted Meredith's dad to be his replacement. How cool is that? Much cooler than me rambling and not talking to Meredith, shall we? You know, you mentioned that there are times where you're there's a difference in opinion between EPs and and executives, and I guess that's a good time to ask. Like you said, you worked on staff uh, at Nickelodeon. You've done things for Warner Brothers, Netflix, all different types of studios. Does the the pipeline differ between the studios? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Everyone is different. And who has say and who has input, um, it can be very, very different from studio to studio. And um, I always like to ask how many people are weighing in on the auditions before I send my choices, because I will send more. If there are more people weighing in, I will send more reads than less, mm-hmm. because it is easier to get more people to find a consensus with more choices mm-hmm. than fewer choices and a lot of people. If I have only a couple of people who are making those final decisions, then I might send less. And some, some, some APs, they can only hear so much, you know, they can't process as much, you know? So it's, right. you know, like you, you kind of learn how to work with people. It's like, oh, that's too many choices. I can't, I can't process that many choices. Give me less. And other people feel like they're missing something if they don't hear more. Mm-hmm. So you kind of learn from creator to creator to studio to studio how how to submit and how to work with them. Got it. That's interesting. I I know you said you don't like giving blanket statements, but I want to know the blanket <laughs> statement for each studio. <laughs> I want the cheat sheet, Meredith. But it has more <laughs> to do with the production than it does with the studio. Okay. Care to elaborate? I mean, some Netflix productions, I we have complete autonomy other netflix productions mm-hmm. netflix weighs in uh nickelodeon the network would weigh in as well as the executive producers particularly on a recurring or a, a lead role mm-hmm. um warner brothers production pretty much had their had their own you know, each of the dvds that i worked on they pretty much had their own i don't remember them running anything by higher-ups but i could be mm-hmm. i could be wrong on that Got it. um yeah, I mean everybody every every single production is different. So you kind of have to just ask all the questions. Okay, what's our what's our approval process going to be? How much time for turnaround? You know, who's getting involved? Who needs to be CC'd? All those kind of questions. Sure. Is there and we talked about this, but obviously you're on staff at Nickelodeon, but you've also done freelance casting. Do you have sort of a preference of freelance versus on staff? What are some of the pros and cons with each rap? I mean Pros on staff, security, job security, sure. benefits, um, freelance, you can pick the projects you're working on, mm-hmm. um, the types of projects you can kind of build, you know, if, if I'm casting and directing and scheduling and organizing, I can drive the schedule and kind of go, okay, well, this show needs this day, so I can move that show to this day. And uh, if you're on staff, well, I mean, you might have regular set days, which is, it can be a pro and a con. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the kind of the biggies is just, you know, the, the, the staff is, you're not looking for your next job. 
it come, you know, you're handed it basically. Mm-hmm. You have benefits, you have uh health care, you have some place to go to work every day, you haven't sure. you have someone else paying for your overhead and your supplies. You might even have a staff. Wow, have a staff. <laughs> um you know, but as a freelancer, it's it's all on you. It's it's you're looking for your next job, you're interviewing for things, you're selling yourself, uh, you're doing all the work, you know. Yeah. And is there um well actually I want to ask this and uh <laughs> uh you don't have to name names, but you mentioned with when you're on staff, you get projects, you don't get to choose what you're working on. So have you worked on things on staff where it's like, I don't, I, what is this? Do I really have to cast this? All right, fine. Does that happen? And how do you, um, yeah, yeah. Why don't we just leave it at that? Like, have you had to cast things that you just did not see sort of a future in? Well, I think, you know, especially if you're doing development projects, there are times where like, I don't see a series in this, but I'm going to give it my all, sure. you know, because you're just, you're just doing a one-off of a short or a pilot or something like that. But I mean, you don't treat it any differently, but there are, there are creative properties where you're like, I may not be the right person for this one because I, my head is not understanding this world as well as I might understand other worlds and somebody mm-hmm. else might understand it a lot better than I do. But I, I think that's kind of the extent of it, but you, you know, you do your best, you jump in, you do what you can and, and mm-hmm. uh, you talk to the producers and you ask them questions, explain this to me. I'm not quite sure I understand this. Okay, great. Okay. Now I get that. All right. What about this? You know, but, but that's half of my job is to ask the producers questions to explain to me their world and their characters. So then I can turn around and explain to you guys the world and the characters. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I'm not understanding something, I need clarification so that you'll, you can understand it. Sure. That was a way more professional answer than what I said. I mean, you're like, you know what, if I don't understand it, I got to communicate with them. I'm like, (laughs) what is this crap? (laughs) And that's why you've been working as long as you have. So, So, well, you mentioned it's uh, one of the differences with doing freelance versus on staff is you sort of have to pitch yourself when you're trying to procure work. So what goes into that pitch? Do you just show them all the things you've worked on and drop the mic and exit the room or um, <laughs> how do you uh, God, navigate I wish. that? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I feel like everybody in this, I don't mean to sound that, you know, everybody thinks they're reinventing the wheel. Everybody thinks that they're doing something that, that nobody's ever done before. So you just need, you need to let them know that you understand the genre, the tone, the characters, the world, you know, the, the type of acting that they're looking for, for that property or the type of, you know, I'm looking for something really cinematic and really honest and grounded and real. And you're like, okay, great. Well, I've done these projects. This is what I've worked on. I, I, you know, I went through an uh, interview recently where it was like, how do you work with on-camera actors who've never done animation before? And it was like, you know, it was a really intense, like explain to us. It was like, (laughs) I direct them. That's what I do. You know, Mm -hmm. you explain the world, you spend the, the dynamic. This is this is their relationship to the other character. This is what's happening physically for them. This is what, you know, it's that's basically what you do in any in, in any interview. You you show show them. You understand the tone and the world and the and the. Um, you maybe bring some creative ideas and say, well, you know, it's somebody. It's such. I, I'm reading it. It's somebody like a X. Um, I'm hearing the voice kind of like this. Um, I see, is there a relationship between these two? I think there's, cause you know, honestly, half the time you're going in, you're getting a, you might be getting a Bible or you might right. not, you might not have any real information about the show itself. So it's not like you can do a lot of background sure. 
unless it's, you know, if it's a pre-existing property like Tomb Raider. Okay, you can, you go, oh, I know this. There's, there's some basics out there I can know, but I don't know their entire approach. I don't know the storyline. I don't know certain things, but you can go in and go, okay, I understand what you're doing. I understand these characters. I understand the world. I understand the weight on this property of like getting it right. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. It's so it's, it's, that's, it's just like an actor going into any meeting and just, you know, sure. showing them you get it. Yeah. Do you have a, a sort of, I mean, obviously you've done a bunch of animation, but do you have a, a favorite type of project to cast? You mean animation versus live action? Sure. Or, or even just specifically like action versus comedy or um, yeah, across the board or dancers I, and singers. I don't. I honestly, I really like the um, the broader, the broad range of material that I'm able to work on as a freelancer mm-hmm. because I think it helps the other stuff you do creatively. It can give your brain a rest in the comedic world while you work on this. And it can give your brain a, a rest in the more dramatic world while you work on the comedy stuff. And and everything informs something else. It's just, I, I tend to I tend to like to let things spin around in my brain a little bit and okay. not have to just go, okay, people, people, here's names, here's names, names, names. I like to like, just let it figure itself out a little bit. And then, yeah. you know, the way that casting works is like one idea leads to another idea leads to another idea. So you go, oh, you know, who'd be great. So-and-so. And you write that down. You're like, oh, you know, who'd be really great. That other person that was in this other thing. Okay. Yeah. That one too. And that's, you know, so the more you can kind of let things percolate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the more they can sort of have a chance to blossom yeah. um, into beautiful cast baby flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, you know, you mentioned that sometimes you need things to to sort of percolate and fester and and sort of um, put a portion of your brain towards different things all the time, I'd imagine, especially for freelance, because it's sort of more of a an entrepreneurial endeavor as opposed to like working for a company. So that can be, you know, it can be overwhelming, even if you love mixing and juggling a bunch of things at once. Are there things that you do totally unrelated to casting to sort of wind down or, or hobbies or things to keep your head level? Do you do like roller derby or something that nobody knows? About? I should. <laughs> um, no. And I have to say in, in COVID even less hmm. um, before COVID, I, I would try to, you know, get out more and just do things to try to clear my brain, whether it was going to a museum or, you know, mm-hmm. just doing something with friends or socializing or just getting out and doing something. And over the last couple of years, my world has narrowed to these four walls <laughs> most days. Um, mm-hmm. And this chair, this chair and I have got to know each other very well <laughs> over two years. And, um, but yeah, I don't really have a lot of outlet outside of what I do, which is very sad. And it has to change. Well, no, I mean, if if you love what you do and, and part of you touched on it, sometimes the outlet is working on totally different types of projects, you know. So, I mean, that's a good maybe you've uh, you're ahead of the game because a lot of people in the world don't enjoy their jobs. And it's your job that you're spending most of your hours of your life at. So you if you're working all the time, at least it's something that you love to do. 
I hope, I hope you enjoy yeah. the cast. But, I mean, so. but that is, it's like, you know, there are days where you're like, okay, I can't think about this project anymore. You got to hang on. I got to give somebody else some attention. And you're like, mm -hmm. and you can put that away for a bit yeah. and go focus on the other one for a little bit. Sure. And that's yeah. when you talk to the chair that you've been, that's when you I know. talk to the chair. <laughs> Me in the chair. Yeah, what, what were we thinking, chair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how many times has your chair like vetoed your, your casting suggestions? No. <laughs> Not them. <laughs> if, my, if my chair is talking to me, I've, I've probably spent way too much time in it. Uh, well, you know, it's that kind of dedication that I'd imagine, and check out how smooth the segue is, um, that led <laughs> to you getting an Emmy. So uh, winning an Emmy, does that, especially for freelance when you're pitching, does it change anything about your career or perception, how you're perceived or no? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no respect here. No, you know, and honestly, and uh, you know, I mean, toot my own horn for a moment, but full disclosure, I have a few, mm -hmm. but um, it hasn't, it's, it's like nobody, I, I don't, it hasn't like got me more money. It hasn't brought me new projects. It hasn't. Um, it's amazing and wonderful. And I am so grateful. And yes, I'd be happy to win another one, mm -hmm. but I think the kind of, onus people put on the awards and winning them they're amazing in the moment mm -hmm. do you know what i mean it's an amazing moment and it's amazing even for that year afterwards where you're like and now you'd be like i'm emmy award winning so and so and that's amazing and special and fabulous and they do sit right here next to me and remind me every once in a while that i you know did something at one point <laughs> but um but in the bigger scope of things, it hasn't made a massive difference for me. It's not like I suddenly got people knocking on my door because of the Emmys. Mm -hmm. Any other opportunities I've gotten was because somebody saw other work I did and was right. like, oh, I really like that work. Would you be interested in talking to us about our project? Mm -hmm. It wasn't about the Emmys. It was about the work. Right. So, But the fact that the peers... And the industry for that moment in time chose your work to be recognized is amazingly special. And, sure. and I will say also the, the, the first one I, I got was for Penguins of Madagascar for the series. Okay. That year, Nickelodeon, I think, won 36 Emmys. Wow. So it was, it was this family event. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was Oprah in the car. It's like, you get an Emmy and you get an Emmy. Yeah. And you get... <laughs> it was phenomenal. And it the level of love and appreciation and excitement within the studio and within the, the production was unbelievably special. And I've not experienced that again since that first one. So, sure. um, but, but, uh, but yes, absolutely grateful. And, and if it happens to you, kudos, it's amazing. It mm -hmm. is amazing. But in the long term, it has changed my career now. Sure. And obviously, yeah, it makes sense that it's the first one that that hits you because it's a new experience at that point. And then once you've won your third and fourth, and I mean, it's like, it becomes dull for you when you're winning not so many. <laughs> not remotely okay. dull for me. Never, never, never. Um, you know, and you do find yourself doing the cliche, you know, shaking yeah. it in the air thing with one hand, um, but it's never dull and it's never old hat and it's never, you know, yawn. It's, sure. it's, it's uh, an amazingly special and exciting thing mm -hmm. yeah well that's that's refreshing to know was it so for penguins of madagascar <laughs> um i mean obviously it, it didn't change things necessarily for your work um that came more from people knowing what you've worked on rather than knowing that you won an emmy but 
did you think prior to winning your first one, did you think that things would change or did you sort of have an idea that, okay, let's just enjoy this night. And then tomorrow it's back to regular life. I don't know what I would have expected to change. You know what I mean? I don't know what I would have expected. Like would I suddenly get a bonus? I mean, I don't know what I, the only thing that's changed is I could put little, you know, <laughs> TM next to my name, you know, I mean, not anywhere winning TM. Um, I don't, I don't know that there was any expectation of, of like the world opening up to me. I don't know what I would have thought would have changed for me. It just, it was just a level of validation um, that was really great. Sure. Yeah. And that, I think that for me was like, okay, great. Maybe maybe I'm doing okay. Maybe I, maybe I'm doing all right. And I think that's the thing is if people walk away with that going, okay, this year people thought my work was really, really good Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) because next year they'll think somebody else's work is really good. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's all about relationships and reputation. And if your longevity is the best sign that people think your work is good, but speaking of things changing and uh, the times changing, obviously you've worked in this industry long enough to go outlast different trends, whether it was the introduction of pay to plays or the move from uh, away from Saturday morning cartoons and more, even though that still exists, but to more grounded performances and even like diversity and authenticity and stuff. So was there a shift that you found most challenging in your career? And, and was there a shift or time that, that was maybe most enjoyable? Um. I think the the shift into non-acting acting was hard because it was opening up the opportunities to people who were not necessarily actors who, um, and not to say that there weren't people who were great and really surprising who were, you know, crew members and producers and YouTubers or whatever you want to say. Um, you could find some really great people who deserve to have the opportunities. Um, but we went through a period of time where like every third crew member was being offered a job on a show and it was getting harder to push the actors forward and say, look, this is, this is the right choice for your show, but this person had a really interesting voice. So they're like, that's the person. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was a bit of a struggle for a lot of us, I think, because, um, you know, you pride yourself on finding interesting and talented people. And again, they're, they're not that these people were not, but it mm-hmm. was, it was harder to kind of get them seen sure. at a time for a period of time. Right. There seems to be a little bit of shift back. I mean, still, and I think the union stepped up and kind of did a lot of that too. The union stepped up and kind of put a little bit of a kibosh on hiring everybody's third cousin without justifying it mm-hmm. you know that you really had to justify that this person was the right person for the job mm-hmm. but there's there's so much production right now there's so many studios producing there's so many different types of animation that i think that people are finally seeing animation as a way of storytelling mm-hmm. and not as just something to sit your kids in front of right um and it's not just the primetime comedies but you have everything from Big Mouth and BoJack Horseman to the Castlevanias and the Blood of mm-hmm. Zeus and to your more traditional Saturday morning type of Loud House and mm-hmm. SpongeBob kind of stuff. So I think you do have a, such a, a plethora of material out there that everybody can kind of 
find something that is interesting to them. Right. Is there, because like you mentioned now, there's so much work out there that, uh, well, at least for actors, while there's so much more content at the same time, there's a lot more competition because you can kind of work from anywhere now. It's become, the technology has been such that it's easier to work from home. And so there's there's a lot more competition. Is that the same would you say for casting and voice directing, while there are so many more projects, ha- has there been like a, a huge influx of people coming into the industry? I think, I think I've been more aware of the people that are established are already so busy that the productions are looking for other people mm-hmm. and they're looking for new blood to try to give, to cover their shows. So there's a lot of people who are getting opportunities that might not have otherwise, and some are finding whole new careers and others are being, are, are finding it's not, it's not the right place for them. Mm-hmm. Um, directing and casting. I mean, I think separating casting and directing, I think you can, they're different ways, they're different perspectives. They're similar, but different. So I think there's a lot of people out there who can direct, who might not be able to cast. Mm-hmm. Be, and it, and it's not because they don't have the skill for it, but it's, it's a level of, the process and the and the amount of material and the time consuming and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i think some people are finding you know i'm not casting's not really for me but directing i love mm-hmm. you know and or vice versa so it's i think it's just an interesting thing i'm finding a lot of actors are like stepping into the director's chair these days and that's right. that's a personal choice whether that feels right to you or not yeah that i was just going to ask because it seems like with casting it seems like, I mean, if you know of other ways that people have, have gotten in, I'm sure listeners would like to know, but it seems like it's, you can start out with a more predictable sort of start out as an assistant, work at a casting office and work your way up. Whereas with voice directing, like it can kind of come from anywhere, whether it's a casting director or actors who've been working for a while, it doesn't seem like there's as much of a blueprint. Uh, would you say that's the case? Probably not, because I think people are willing you know, they've turned to editors, they've turned to engineers, they've turned to uh, showrunners, they've turned to casting directors, they've turned to, turned to actors to direct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, casting casting is one of those things like writing, like acting that everybody everybody thinks they can do. Sure. And then when they get into it, they realize what is, is, is involved. Mm-hmm. And it's not just it's not just the creative aspect of it, it's the organizational aspect of it. You know, it's the process of organizing hundreds of of auditions Mm -hmm. and going through it. And some people are great at that. And some people are not They're Like, I can tell you exactly what I like and why I like it, but the organizing of all that material, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're direct. I mean, Ginny McSwain's one of my mentors and I adore her, but she would always call me like, I can't do this. You do it for me. You go organize it, (laughs) you know? And so I would always, I was there to help her do her auditions and organize her mm-hmm. submissions and all that kind of stuff and put her sides together because that was, that was not her forte. Mm-hmm. She's a brilliant creative, but the organizational stuff was not the way she worked. Right. You mentioned Ginny McSwain. I totally forgot that she was sort of one of your mentors and she actually was kind of one of mine, even though I didn't go into casting, I was doing animation production and then I stepped in on a record and she was there and she was super sweet. I was just an intern at the time. So and thankfully, she's been on the podcast, too. But I'm curious what your story with her was. How, how did you first get connected? Oh, at Nickelodeon. She, we were working on the Random Cartoons, which was a series of 37 
seven minute shorts, 30, 39 seven minute shorts at Nickelodeon. One of the first things I started doing at Nick, they gave me these shorts with the, um, with Frederator and right. uh, Ginny was brought in to direct a couple and that's where our relationship started. And, and we've known each other for years and, and I had helped her on a couple of projects and we just, we stay in touch and it's been a little bit since I've talked to her, I should check in with her again, but I touch, we touch base periodically and, mm-hmm. and every time it's like, I'm retiring. Yes. Then it's like, I'm doing this job. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, That's a spot on impression. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought of voice acting? Yeah. <laughs> but she, I mean, she's always been somebody who's been really supportive of me as a casting director. And then as somebody transitioning into voice directing and, and somebody who just, you know, has always been amazing and generous and thoughtful mm. and really, really, really supportive of me doing this. So yeah, she's yeah. great. Yeah, I, I concur. I, I love Ginny. Um, but but I, Andrea I, Romano was also, Lisa Schaefer was also, Charlie mm. Charlie Adler was also. I mean, yeah. but Ginny, Ginny is somebody that that I've I've had a long relationship with, but all of those directors were very, very supportive and very people I've worked with for years. Yeah. I mean, what a great group of uh, colleagues to work with and learn from. Um, but I, I don't know why I just thought of this. I think it was just your, your spot on impression, but that made me think of uh, <laughs> your, your dad. Uh, you know, you said he was a ventriloquist. Did you ever get the chance to cast him in anything? Was that ever thrown? Cause I'm sure you could have done it. No, we didn't, we wouldn't, didn't work together on anything. I, uh, no, there was nothing. I mean, uh, he wasn't a voice actor. He was he was a ventriloquist, and his characters were phenomenal and came to life when they were on stage with him. But in terms of being an actor, was not his forte as much. Mm-hmm. But um, amazing baby cries, <laughs> and um, he was the only person sanctioned by Paul Winchell to do Tigger. Oh, and yet wow. never got a chance to do Tigger for Disney. Oh man. But yeah, That's... he was he was phenomenal. Wow. Only person. That's amazing. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, Winchell was his mentor. He met Winchell when he was 11 years old and they had a lifelong relationship. Wow. I bet he could do a spot on him. I mean, yeah, if he got permission, he could probably do a spot on impression of him, just like yep. you can of Ginny. Of Ginny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yep. But when you because you have gotten into voice directing as well. Um I'd imagine the process is much easier when you're also casting it. Have you gotten the chance to direct things that were cast by other people mm-hmm. and vice versa? And does that process change for you? Uh, do you find yourself surprised in those moments or or do you just stay your professional self and, and know how to get the job done and figure out how to ask the right questions and direct the right way? Well, I mean, to be very honest, the things that I've directed that I've not cast because I'm a casting director as well, I am very, very aware of not stepping into somebody else's territory. Mm. I am not cast, I'm not hired to cast unless I am asked specifically to help with a particular character. So I'm, I tend to be very, very um, respectful of somebody else's work and not try to hone in unless I'm asked, unless a producer goes, well, what do you think? And, you know, I, but there's been times where I've had to work with actors that if they had asked me, I would have been like, don't. <laughs> this, at least for this role, they're not the right person for this role. I've worked with them and I know how this show needs to function and the way that they have to work, the way that their processes is not going to work with the way this show functions. Mm-hmm. And then there've been, other, and I've not been asked. So I did the session and I did the best I could do, you know? Mm-hmm. And there've been other times where I've met actors that I didn't know who were phenomenal. And I, 
was able to bring them in on something else or, or got to work with an actor that I did know, but in a, but in a different role that I didn't anticipate hearing from them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been surprised by it, but it's, you know, I'm not brought into cast. So I don't, I don't step into my outside my lane unless it's, I'm particularly invited. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm casting it, but not directing it, then it's none of my business what happens in the booth. As long as the actor is being treated well mm-hmm. and they're having a good experience and I'm not hearing, Hey, this happened in the room from an agent. Um, I don't concern myself with the recording sessions unless I'm asked to, or there's an issue that I have to address. Right. Is there, can you talk about like a, a, an example call that you might've gotten from an agent saying, Hey, this happened in a room, like what sorts of things would happen? I don't know. I don't know that I've actually gotten any calls specifically, but it's something where like, if you're in the, you can see that they're, they're pushing the actor mm-hmm. vocally and you know, there's going to be an issue um, or you've, they've done a lot of takes and they're still hammering this one line. Everybody's techniques are different. Everybody's directorial techniques and whether it's the showrunner directing or, or the, another director who's directing, you have to, you know, kind of take into account what other, whatever their style is, but if you may have a showrunner who's not really a director and doesn't know how best to work with an actor or an actor that you have experience with, but they don't. And mm-hmm you know that they're not going to respond to a certain type of directing, but this director does that. Right. Um, but uh, again, I, I try to stay out of it unless it's I'm specifically asked that or brought a problem, mm-hmm. you know, or they, Hey, somebody said something in the room that they found really offensive. Right. You know, something like that. Yeah. Well, you kind of touched on a second, but I feel like that's the biggest challenge with casting and directing because like you said a lot of people think they can do it until they have to do it but you know anybody might be able to coax a, a great read out of somebody but your time is of the essence you, you don't get eight million you know different takes of it you have to be able to f- figure out a way to do it efficiently so uh, that's i would imagine that's the biggest challenge with directing and casting i mean the one thing that i've learned and somebody else may something say something differently. But what I, what my thinking is, is like, the more you talk, the less they hear. Mm-hmm. And it's not because the actors aren't paying attention or they can't understand what you're saying. It's because as an actor, you are trying to take what the director is saying, pull out of it what you can utilize, internalize it, and turn it back around to give them the read they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if it's a showrunner who's the writer, they give you all of this stuff. They keep, they talk and 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 they talk. And, they talk. Mm-hmm. and they're giving you all this character stuff. And then you're like, okay, great. But the note was what? Faster? Right. <laughs> okay. And, and that's the thing is like, so that's kind of, you know, why somebody like myself is there is to kind of, so that producer can talk at me mm-hmm. and then I can distill from that. Okay. So what you're looking for is this. Yes. Okay, great. Actor. This is what we need. Great. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Takes. Right. Terrific. So, and, and again, it's, and it's, it's not because the actor isn't capable of hearing or they're not paying any attention. It's because they are trying to hook into something that they can then turn into a performance note. Yeah, that's a huge note. And especially when you're at sessions where it's not just the voice director or a showrunner trying to direct, but there might be the writer and a, and a producer all on that side of the glass. And you have to get, you know, coordinate with all these different chefs to, to make the right meal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. it's tricky. <laughs> exactly. Well, I um 
again, like I said, I can ask you so many more questions, but the, the goal is for this to be an enjoyable experience. For you. So, um, so. As long as I'm actually saying something of any worth, I feel like. <laughs> of course, that, okay, of course. That's the important thing. There comes a point, like, am I saying anything of making sense? No, I mean, even if this entire, it was just one hour of silence and then your Ginny McSwain impression, this would have made, <laughs> the audience would have gotten their money's worth. Okay, um, good. That wraps up my chat with the incredibly sweet Meredith Lane. I hope you all get to work with her at some point because you will have so much fun and learn so many things like tip number one, every production is different. Some are more micromanaged than others and require a lot of studio approval. While it's hard to know the casting dynamic of each gig you audition for, learning about the differences could better inform the audition itself. Two. If you're unclear about the world or tone audition sides should live in, ask questions that will help you get there. Whether it's knowing what accent or age or something else, your agents might know the answer. And if they don't, casting offices are usually happy to answer questions that might help clear things up. And three, if you're constantly auditioning for the same type of roles, find ways to work on totally different character types. When Meredith casts, Juggling between projects that have completely different tones helps her avoid feeling burnt out. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up.